0: Well, today is Mother's Day, and so I want to start off today by wishing all of our moms and grandmothers and moms-to-be and anywhere in between, and we just want to start by wishing all of you a happy Mother's Day. So thankful to have so many uh, incredible women in our congregation and in my life personally, and uh, and I'm sure you feel the same uh, for for most of you. And so uh, for all of our moms, we just want to wish you a, a happy Mother's Day, and hopefully you've had a blessed weekend so far, and hopefully that continues on uh, today. Uh, but today, being that it is Mother's Day, we are going to take a break from our series that we've been in called "The Bible Doesn't Say That," and we'll pick that back up next week. But as for today, when I think about Mother's Day, I, I think at least for me and i've talked to other preachers who feel the same way mother's day is one of the hardest days out of the year uh, to preach on because you want so much for it to be a blessing and i hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you but at the same time, I'm also cognizant of the fact that for, for most of us, there are some, some mixed emotions going on. There's a lot of emotions that come into play uh, on a day like Mother's Day. And while for many of us, there's certainly feelings of, of happiness and thankfulness as we think about our moms and, and how much we love them and how much they've loved us and the impact that they've had on our, our lives. But for others, there's also feelings of, of hurt and sadness and pain. You know, maybe that's because of moms that, that we've lost or parents who have lost a child, mom who has lost a child. Or maybe it's infertility issues that, that, that you as a mom and and as your family have had. Or maybe there's a strained or broken relationship uh, between you and, and your mom. And so I fully acknowledge the fact that today can be a tough day and a bittersweet day for many of us. But I do hope and pray that for every mother for every woman of influence, that wherever your emotions are today, that you will know how much you are loved and appreciated. I hope you know that and experience that today. And so one of the best things that I can say on Mother's Day is simply to say thank you. Thank you. And we give you thanks and praise to all of our moms, and not just to our moms, but to all of the godly women, both in the story of our faith as we read through them in the Bible, but also for those in the story of our lives and in our own history. And we thank you for all the ways that you have shaped us and molded us and guided us and inspired us and corrected us and pointed us in better directions. And so again, I just want to simply say thank you to my mom and to all the moms out there for who you are and all that you have done. Well, as I said, we are going to take a break from our series. The Bible doesn't say that today, but but today's lesson does have. I kind of want to work it into the theme that we've been having throughout this series, uh, and and so today's lesson does have a similar kind of idea to it. You know, in the series that we've been in, the Bible doesn't say that. We've been looking at some common phrases and uh, sayings and cliches that are often held up as scripture. We use them as if they were scripture, but in reality they're not really scripture. And at the heart of, of a lot of the sayings and, and, and cliches that we use that we've been talking about so far, it is, is a genuine interest in, in encouraging and helping to bring comfort to those who are going through a season of tough times. And we have good intentions, but the reality is the Bible just doesn't say what we're saying that it says. And while it may not be intentional the reality is sometimes it can be a twisting of what the Bible actually does say. But while we may have good intentions when we say those things, there is one who does not have good intentions when it comes to what the Bible says, and that is Satan. In fact, Jesus describes the enemy, describes Satan this way in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, "...he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language." for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so not only will he twist scripture, but he will just flat out lie about what scripture does and doesn't say. And unfortunately, whether we realize it or not, a lot of us have bought into his lies. Now, we don't always recognize them as lies because if we knew they were lies, we wouldn't believe them, right? At least I hope we wouldn't believe them. But because we believe them, we end up living our lives by them. And here's the thing about a lie. Once you believe it to be true, even though it's a lie, once you believe it to be true, it can have the same power over you as if it were true, even if it's not. Let me give you a couple of small examples of this. Now, these aren't significant lies. They don't have major implications, but they are examples of how believing a lie can give it the power of truth in our lives. For instance, one example is the example of carrots. When you tell your kids to eat carrots and you're trying to motivate them to eat carrots, you might say something like this. You need to eat your carrots because the carrots will improve your what? Your eyesight. You ever said that? But that's actually not true. Unless your body is incredibly deficient in vitamin A, carrots don't really make bad vision better. Now, many of us have eaten carrots and we've Forced our kids to eat carrots because we believe the lie that carrots will improve your your eyesight But that lie is actually rooted in World War II Propaganda the British Army didn't want to get out that their pilots had radar on their aircrafts But they needed some reason for their incredible accuracy And so they spread the word that their soldiers had great vision, especially at night from them eating so many carrots well that happened. And then one of the writers for Bugs Bunny cartoons apparently heard this World War II propaganda that carrots improve your eyesight. And he believed it to be true. And so he worked that into the cartoons. And as a result, millions of homes were hearing from Bugs Bunny, of all people, right, uh, a bunny, uh, that carrots improve your eyesight and your vision. And somewhere along the line, it just became accepted as true. And so millions of children and adults started eating carrots in hopes of improving their eyesight, even though that's not really true. Here's another example. You know, a lot of us were told growing up that we couldn't swim right after we eat that it wasn't a safe thing to do. I remember growing up, you know, my mom would say, "You, hey, you've been swimming for a while, you need to get out of the pool and get a little snack. And so we'd get out and we'd get a little snack. And then we'd have to wait like half an hour before we could get back in the pool. I mean, it was torture, right? We, We just got out of the pool. We ate our snack and like, 0.2 seconds, right? And then you got to wait another 29 minutes and, you know, 59 plus seconds to get back into the pool. How many of you had a rule like that, though, where you couldn't get back in the pool, at least not right away, that, uh, that you couldn't swim after eating? And maybe your mom told you, what my t- mom told me that it was, you know, you were at higher risk for things like leg cramps and, um, you know, that if you got leg cramps, maybe you, you know, couldn't swim at the time and then you had a possibility of drowning. Right. And so you need to rest before you go back into the pool, except for that's not really the truth. Swimming after eating does not really increase your risk of muscle cramps. Um, it may, you know, Mess with your belly a little bit if you eat too much, but it doesn't really increase your risk for, for muscle cramps, and it's really not all that dangerous at all. Now, some of you hear me say that those things are not true, and yet there's still a part of you that wants to say, um, yeah, it is. Actually, yeah, that is true. And and, and yet even though it's not true, we believe it to be true. Why is that? Well, for one, there are certain lies that are hard for us to recognize when they're just so widely accepted. We don't want to, you know, if it's widely accepted, we don't want to be the one who kind of uh, butts up against what everybody else is is saying. We don't want to believe something different than what everyone else believes. You don't want to be the one person who says, no, I, I don't buy that and, and, and put your kid in danger for, you know, for them swimming right after eating or the, your kid's walking around squinting because they didn't eat enough carrots, right? You, you don't want to be that, that parent. But also secondly, it's hard to recognize a, a, a lie if you've been told it for a long time. And the longer you believe a lie to be true, the more difficult it is for you to believe or recognize that it is a lie because if we've always believed it, it makes it really hard to change how we think about it. As someone once said, it's easier to believe a lie one has heard a thousand times than to believe a fact one has never heard before. Now it's not that big of a deal, really, when we're talking about eating your carrots or swimming after eating, but what happens when we believe some more significant lies that have some more significant implications? Well, when we believe those lies, we're giving them tremendous power in our lives. Because when you believe a lie to be true, you give it the same power, again, as if it were true. But while the enemy may be the father of lies, Jesus identifies himself as the truth. And he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says also in John chapter 8 verse 31 and 32, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so on this Mother's Day weekend, I want to address one of the enemy's favorite lies and hopefully help us to see the truth that will set us free. And certainly whispers this to both men and women alike. But I've noticed that it seems to be one of his favorites to throw at women in particular and specifically at mothers. And the lie goes something like this. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. And I'm guessing that uh, there's a whole lot of moms out there that have bought into this lie that you just don't have what it takes. And he just tells you that lie every single day. And there might be different variations of it. Like, you don't measure up, you don't have the energy, you don't have the patience. You don't have the self-control. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have enough time. You don't know what you're doing. You're not a good mom. You're just messing the kids up. You're doing more harm than good. They'd be better off without you. You've tried long enough. No one appreciates you enemy anyway. No matter how hard you try, it's not going to be good enough. You might as well give up. You don't have what it takes. And so every time one of your kids makes a bad choice or some mistake, The enemy leans in and he whispers, that's your fault. That's on you. And you scroll down through Facebook and Instagram and you see pictures of moms and their children and they look so happy and uh, well-kept and and organized and and there's that voice that whispers, "You'll, you'll never be that creative. You'll never be that fun. You'll never be that photogenic. You'll never be that beautiful. You'll never be that thoughtful. You'll never be that spiritual. Moms, the enemy, in essence, hands you a script. And that script says, you are not valuable. You are not capable. You are not qualified. You are not uh, competent. You are not appreciated. And he says, read this. Just just read this. I, 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 just, I just want you to read this. And just keep reading from this script. And you read that script and you keep reading that script and you give tremendous power to those lies. You know, the very first lie that the enemy told the very first woman, Eve, played on our insecurities, that she didn't have what it takes. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a lot of times what Satan does. He plays on our insecurities. We read about this in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Scripture says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so here's what the enemy does. He tries to get you to question what God has said, to be insecure in what God and the promises that God has given to you. Because if he can get you to question God's word and God's will for you and God's purpose for you, then he's got space to fill that with something else, with a lie. And Eve says, well, no, God didn't say we couldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden, just the one, just the one in the middle of of the garden. That's the one we're not allowed to eat. God said you can't eat of it, you can't even touch it, because if you do, you will die. That's what God said. And then Satan takes what God says, and he reverses it. He flips it. God says, don't eat of it, or you will die. Verse four, Satan says, "You, you won't die. God just knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him. You'll know what he knows. You'll know good from evil, but you'll know what God knows. You will be like God. Now, the thing is, there's a little truth in this. And that's what Satan does. He sells us a lie, but he he gives us just a little bit of truth in it. And so he plays on Eve's insecurities and he says, Yeah, you know, you don't really know that much right now, Eve. You're kind of not Eve, Eve. But if you eat this, you'll be smart. You'll be like God. And that's what the enemy does. He tries to immobilize you by telling you lies that make you feel insecure and that you think you need to get your security in something other than what God says you need to find your security in. You know, one of the things research shows is that oftentimes men and women struggle with Feelings of failure and inadequacy, inadequacy different. And I'm, you're probably saying, well, you didn't really need me to tell you that. But uh, I am going to talk about it just a little bit, just in case you, you didn't know this. But men tend to blame their circumstances. You know, that, That's what men tend to do. We, 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 when we start feeling like we don't have what it takes, let's just be honest, we don't necessarily think that it's our fault. But women tend to internalize things. You know, men, we, we oftentimes think it's because of all these other things, women tend to kind of internalize things. They tend to blame themselves. There was one study that was done at Cornell University with an engineering class, and in the class, they, they noticed that when it became very difficult and challenging, the men and women in the class responded differently to not doing well in the class. When the men struggled in the class, they responded by saying things like, well, the teacher isn't a very good teacher or the test wasn't fair, or if the teacher would have prepared us better, we would have done better on the test. On the other hand, the ladies would think things like, well, I knew I shouldn't have taken this class. I knew I wouldn't be smart enough to cut this. I don't have what it takes. And so the women tend to make their struggles and failures more about themselves. Men tend to look around and say, well, can't be me, right? There must be some other reason. And all the ladies are like, yep, totally agree with that, right? For instance, let's say, i give you an example of this. Let's say a man goes into a store, and, and, and we're going in there to buy a pair of pants, let's say. We, we think we know our size, and so we get what we think we wear. And of course, we don't try it on. We just take it home. And a couple of days later, we go to put the pants on, and they're too tight. Like, we can get them on, and, and we can get them buttoned, but they are too tight. I mean, the button is scared. It, it, is, it is crying out for its life, right? But we get them on. Now, in that moment, the thought never, mostly never, crosses our mind that yeah, maybe I put on a few pounds. We, we never even consider that possibility. We don't think to ourselves, you know, I haven't really watched what I've eaten lately and I haven't really been exercising like I should. Our first, our first thought is, well, they must have marked the size wrong. Like, that's what we as guys tend to think. And my guess is that a lot of us guys do think that way. If the clothes don't fit us right, there's something wrong with the clothes. It's not us, right? But most likely for ladies, that's not usually the thought process. And one of the ways I think the enemy tries to communicate this lie that that you don't have what it takes and, and to try and play on your insecurities is by getting you to play the comparison game. Satan gets you to play the comparison game. Yeah, you know, we live in a culture and in a time where we are constantly comparing ourselves to this person and that person and to one another. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, we do not dare to classify our, or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves or with each other and, and compare themselves with, with themselves, they are not wise. Galatians chapter six, verse four says, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. And yet it's hard to avoid, right? I mean, it's hard to avoid, isn't it? And specifically with the, the prevalence and, and just this huge boom of social media that's taken place over, you know, the, the, really the last decade or so or however long it's been in, I think it's almost impossible to avoid that comparison trap. Other than just getting rid of it altogether, I don't know how you keep from doing it. And specifically for ladies and moms, it seems to be even more prevalent. And certainly there are, there are some good things about social media. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm not saying that, that you know, it's, it's all bad and I'm all against it. But I just want to make sure that we understand what it really is. It's not really real, right? Or at the very least, it doesn't tell the whole story, oftentimes it's just this facade. It's just a lot of people giving the best, giving the best versions of themselves. And I get it. Naturally, we're going to want to put things out there that others want to see. We're going to want to put our best foot forward, so to speak. And I'm not even saying that people are, you know, most people are, some may be, but I don't think most people are doing it overtly, you know, to just say, look at me, look at me. But for the most part, you're, you're just seeing these idealized versions of people. It's not real. It's a comparison trap, and it plays into our securities and insecurities, and it gives more weight when the enemy says things like, you don't have what it takes. You don't measure up to them. What makes you think that you have what it takes? But the reality is that those pictures and those posts, they don't give the whole picture. Again, I, I'm not saying this to make moms and ladies feel bad. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I want us to feel free from this because those pictures and those posts don't tell the whole picture because without exception, every single person you see on there is struggling with something. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's got it all figured out. Nobody's got it all together. But it makes it really hard for us as a people to be vulnerable and transparent when we're surrounding ourselves with these veneer versions of other people's lives. And unfortunately, this happens a lot of times in the church as well. Church can be a lot like social media at times. Everybody comes in and we have the best versions of ourselves and nobody really knows what anyone else is struggling with. But the reality is everybody's broken. Everybody's struggling. And yet if you're in a culture and an environment and an atmosphere where you don't see that, it's almost impossible to experience any kind of healing and growth. I mean, if we can't be honest about our brokenness and our our vulnerabilities, we don't have a chance. If you're constantly surrounding yourself with these idyllic images and identities that aren't even real, that's not healthy. It's not helping you. In fact, a lot of times it's dangerous for you and me to be constantly taking that stuff in. And so so often, especially with moms, the enemy tries to convince you that you're blowing it, that you're missing the mark, that you don't have what it takes. See, look at all these people who have what it takes and you don't. And when you start to buy into that lie, you give it power as if it were true. And for a lot of moms, it ends up leading to this strive for perfection you try to make everything perfect, but that is unattainable. And in the end, your family and your heart pay the price. And what ends up happening is you you beat yourself up because you feel guilty that you're not perfect and that you don't have what it takes, and you don't feel like you get the job done. Then there's fatigue because you, after you beat yourself up long enough, and you feel guilty long enough, you just get worn out. You get tired, and you feel like quitting. And maybe that's where some of you moms are today. And listen, the enemy loves that because he knows that if he can get you to live under this lie, that you don't have what it takes. If he can get you to live under that lie long enough that it's gonna put an incredible amount of pressure on you and on those you love and given enough time of you believing that lie and giving power to that lie, that pressure is gonna cause things to break and fall apart. Now, again, as I said earlier, like most of the enemy's lies, this one has some truth to it. You see, the idea that you don't have what it takes, that's actually true. You don't have what it takes. But what makes it a lie is that it's not the whole truth. The truth is you don't have what it takes. But the whole truth is that in Jesus, you have everything you need. In Jesus, you have everything you need to live out who he has called you to be and what he has called you to do. And Philippians chapter four, verse 13 is the truth that sets us free. The apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, you've heard me say this before, that this is one of the more taken out of context verses in the Bible. We often use it as a verse to motivate us for, you know, some sporting endeavor or personal conquest or some obstacle that we're facing. But in reality, you know what this verse is talking about? It's talking about contentment. It's talking about being content. And really, everything that we've been talking about today, this is what it's all about. Contentment is what it's all about. It's about being content. It's about being content in who you are in Jesus Christ. It's about finding your value and your purpose and your joy and your peace in him, not in all the other things in this world that Satan tries to tell you you need to find your security and your peace and your joy and your purpose in, but you find it in Jesus Christ. And so the next time the enemy tries to get you to believe that you don't have what it takes, you say, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's true. But I know the one who does have what it takes. Another version of this in Philippians chapter 4, 13, puts it this way. says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Moms, I hope you'll put both hands on that verse and never let go. Because you are too weak, but in him you are strong. You are too inconsistent, but his grace is sufficient. You have made mistakes, but his mercies are new every morning. And so may you delight yourself in the Lord and find your sufficiency in him. He knows the real you. He knows your struggles and your insecurities. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Be free from that pressure. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus has already been perfect for you. And remind yourself how God feels about you because how he feels about you doesn't change if your kids misbehave in public he doesn't care if you sometimes go to bed with a, a you know sink full of dirty dishes. He doesn't care if you wear sweatpants and no makeup, and your husband shouldn't either. He doesn't care if you decide to, to fix a frozen pizza for dinner. He, he doesn't care about those things. He cares about you and you finding your joy and your peace and your fulfillment in him. And so for your moms, here's what I want you to catch. Just... Take a deep breath. The pressure is off. And if you're feeling helpless, I want you to know he wants to help you. If you're hurting, he wants to hold you. If you feel guilty because you've made some mistakes, he wants you to experience the incredible power of his grace in your life. If you feel disappointed and disillusioned, he wants to be your delight. If you feel lost, he wants to guide you. If you're confused, he wants to give you his wisdom. If you feel broken, he wants to turn your brokenness into something beautiful. If you feel overwhelmed, he wants to give you his peace. And if you find yourself buying into that lie that says you don't have what it takes, then start telling yourself the truth, the truth that Jesus wants you to know and to tell yourself that you can do all things through him. Find your joy in him. Find your value in him. Find your purpose in him. Find your peace in him. Find your contentment in him because you may not have what it takes, but he does.